This episode of Talk of the Devils is sponsored once more by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage all the way to the did we just hit 1 million orders phase. Yep, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling ETH style turtleneck sweaters or blueprints for brand new stadiums, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to Talk of the Devils, you can sign up for our $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash reddevils, all in lowercase without any spaces. So go to shopify.com slash reddevils to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash reddevils. The Athletic. The good news is Manchester United have scored 13 goals in the last three games. The less good news is that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer says United aren't a team of title contenders and the attack is strangely underperforming. Hello, listener. I'm Carl Anker and welcome to Talk of Devils, the Manchester United podcast from The Athletic. Coming up today, we're going to pick the bones out of Manchester United being West Ham in the FA Cup fifth round. But we've got a special, special episode for you where our main event and our guest, indeed, is one Marcus Rashford, who sat down with our very own Laurie Whitwell for a great chat. Laurie, what can we look forward to in this chat today? Well, I think hopefully uh, people can look forward to a, a sense of it getting a little bit inside Marcus Rashford's brain, I suppose. Um, I tried to tap into his thought processes on the pitch, or why he makes certain moves, drilling down into maybe particularly the 10,000th goal that Manchester United scored, which was his against Brighton, which was a, a couple of chops to put Ben White on his arse. And it was just quite interesting hearing why he decided to do that. Um, it wasn't anything superfluous. It was very much to score a goal. And I think that just made me understand a little bit more those a couple of occasions where we've wondered why maybe he didn't shoot against Arsenal for example, or the Everton one where he checks onto his left and um, it whistles wide. So that was interesting. And also, you know, quite a lot of subjects, actually. Um, we got onto penalties. We got onto United winning trophies. We got onto United seeing out games, which was quite um, sort of pre- prescient with his final act of the game against West Ham, I suppose, running down the pitch, um, still showing the energy uh, that he has has got all the way to the end and, and sort of getting into the corner, not looking to um, do anything stupid with it as as United suffered, obviously, against Everton, uh, which we won't dwell on. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I, he's clearly a very intelligent guy, clearly cares a lot about the club. And I think that shouldn't be uh, underestimated. Before we get started and get into this clip, first of all, I want to give my intro to the editor of United We Stand and our contributing writer to The Athletic, Mr. Andy Min. Andy, how are you? Hi, Carl. Okay. I want to peek behind the podcasting door and reveal we're recording this on zoom this time so i can actually see where in the world andy is right now and he's uh it looks like he's on a fantastic little sofa back in barcelona well i'm in a sofa and i've got a i've become a dog owner for the first time in my life and uh, i've got a dog snoring away so if the producer tells me that there's a snoring sound going on in the background this will be a first for me but yeah (laughs) it's not the listeners (laughs) spent spent the day mate um being told that Manchester United's game in San Sebastian is going to be moved, which is a joy because I'm going to San Sebastian whether I like it or not. And I'm Oof. not going to Turin where the game's been moved to. 
And I've been trying to work out how to get from Sevilla to Turin. It's just impossible. All the flights have sort of ground to a halt in, in Europe. And uh, yeah, I've got a San Sebastian, even if Manchester United are not. There's worse places to go to. Although, there are worse places to go to. Didn't you recommend a beach there? Or have I made that up? No, it's, it's a beautiful city. It's got a fantastic beach. It's got amazing restaurants. I wouldn't suggest going in the middle of a of a pandemic when everything's going to be closed, but the beach still will be open. You can't stop me going onto the beach, but officially I'm supposed to be going for work purposes. And I am going as a journalist and I will be outside an empty stadium saying I'm in San Sebastian and uh, nobody else is. Let me remind you, listener, if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, then throughout February, you can subscribe for a special discounted price. You can enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of our podcasts and following on 10 different leagues around the world. You can get all of that for less than a pound a week. All you have to do is go to theathletic.com slash manunitedpod to sign up. That's theathletic.com slash manunitedpod. Manchester United beat Southampton 9-0. Then they drew with Everton 3-3. But we're recording this as I am currently thawing out after a uh, huffing and puffing 1-0 victory over West Ham United. Um, Manchester United won. Uh, Scott McTominay scored another goal. He keeps scoring goals after Darren Fletcher's here. I don't know if that's a correlation or causation. And that's all I really want to say about that game. However, we're a proper podcast. So, Laurie, what did you see on the TV? Yeah, no, I mean, I'm intrigued to see if you saw it any differently to me. We, we know that I have uh, alternative views when I've, whether I've been at the stadium or not. So maybe you saw a fantastic, thrilling end-to-end game that I didn't see because I was watching it at home on TV. But uh, yeah, I tweeted, um, do we really have to at full time um, ahead of the extra time? The most interesting thing was the amount of substitutes that were going on, which I didn't quite get my head around. But um, yeah, listen, thank you for... Uh, Scott, thank you to Scott McTominay for scoring and, and, and making sure he didn't have to go to penalties at least. It was a really clean strike, wasn't it? Nice setup by Rashford and McTominay's. I, I think I saw some tweets afterwards about what Solskjaer said in his press conference. I'm sure you can enlighten us, but you know, he's been encouraged to get forwards more, which is something that his you know, people close to him have always said that's what he really liked to do. You know, he used to be a number 10 coming through. And when he came into the team under Jose Mourinho, really pleased to obviously get his chance, but he was asked to do a very specific task, which was, you know, keep it simple, um, protect uh, the midfield, uh, you know, team, the team was in flux. And now this season he's been given a bit more license and he's shown that he can finish. You know, the, the, the quality of his finishing is, um, is standing out. You know, the two against Leeds, both different kinds of, of shots. Uh, and this one tonight, you know, half volley, flush on the outside of his, his right foot. So, yeah, I mean, but what, what was Solskjaer like in the post-match press conference? Was was he enthused or was he drained or, or what? It was a short one. He had a lot of smiles. I think it only lasted about four minutes. Typically, Ollie's talks for about seven to ten after a game. Um, and he was very much, yeah, you could tell Scott used to be a striker. A uh, little talk about Donny van der Beek. As you might have seen, van der Beek did not have the best game uh, against West Ham. And he Solskjaer admitted that United were just a bit flat as a team wholesale in the second half. And he thought changes would need to come. He's very glad they're still in the FA Cup. And he's very much against the idea that the FA Cup could go straight to penalties if, at the end of 90 minutes, a la the League Cup. Uh, Andy, you've seen more FA Cup games than I think Laurie and I put together, mostly because I don't typically watch many FA Cup games. <laughs> what did you think about that game? And do you think Man United could win the FA Cup? I hope Man United can win the FA Cup. I think a trophy would make a big difference and help Oli Gunnar and lift the mood among United fans and maybe fans can even be there, although I'm not overly optimistic about that at the moment. 
first thing, well, get to a semi-final, get through the semi-final. But United have had three home games in the competition against Watford, Liverpool and, and West Ham. Won all of them. Watford was a poor game. West Ham was a poor game. There was a clean sheet there. First half was poor. I said that at half-time. The second half wasn't much better. But West Ham didn't come to make it an entertaining game. West Ham came to set up, to, not to win the game, but to avoid defeat. And they defended very well. And I'm sure we've mentioned Donny van der Beek. It was a difficult game for him. I know he didn't play well, but in his role when he's running onto balls, it's very difficult to do that when a team is playing so deep. And I can see that United fans are getting a little bit frustrated. One, because they want to see more of him. They want to see him do well. And then when he gets a chance and he, he doesn't do well, that causes frustration. And it was a little bit flat, but there are so many games. And, and David Moyes has done a very good job at, at West Ham. He's made them difficult to beat. They're, they're the much-changed side. But United did as well. And you can see when they bring the cavalry on, when Bruno comes on, when McTominay comes on, when Cavani comes on, sometimes that's needed. It was needed against Luton in the in the League Cup at the start of the season. And it's needed against West, West Ham when the game's going towards extra time. But another six-round performance, nobody's celebrating that. But had United gone out, I think it would have been a, a real problem because... The team have stuttered in in recent weeks. There was a great goal flush against Southampton, but it's not that long ago that Sheffield United won at Old Trafford. There are doubts about the form at Old Trafford. I think there's a little bit of a hangover from Everton. I, I was gutted when Everton equalised in the 94th minute at, at the weekend. So the main thing that was that Manchester United got a win and got through to the next round. It wasn't pretty at all. But McTominay, as you've said, he's added goals to his game. His shooting is accurate. If you compare him to Fred, I mean, Fred, bless him, he's trying the shots and one of them, <laughs> you know, didn't go out for a throw today. So he's getting there. But it, 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 it was a poor game. United all, had all the possession, but West Ham were difficult to break down. It's been a very strange couple of weeks yeah. at Old Trafford. I think one of the really interesting things about COVID football is because the games come so quickly, a good run of form can see a team go from eh to fantastic in the space of two weeks. And then similarly, a, a sticky run of form can completely change the moods. 13 goals in the last three games. And I would not be able to tell you in all confidence that the United attack is doing well. That is the strange thing. Uh, United did score nine goals against Southampton and I was there the last time Southampton conceded nine goals and I would say the one at Old Trafford was slightly more farcical than the one Leicester City got against Southampton and the Everton draw I would describe my reaction to Calvert-Lewin's equaliser as mild hilarity and then swear words rather than a gutted feeling uh, Laurie we didn't do a podcast after the Everton game but how was the reaction at Old Trafford after it went to 3-3. just did not need to happen. I mean, that was sort of my overriding reaction and sort of what I built the piece around on the Athletic afterwards, just the fact that United had so many opportunities to avert danger and uh, in my strangled analogy, uh, compared it to the scene in Austin Powers where the security guard has just got his hand, hand outstretched as the steamroller moves very slowly towards him screaming rather than just, just move out of the way, you know, just just eat up the time a bit, United. Just don't concede the foul. Just, you know, keep a high line as they were screaming from the dugout. Uh, don't drop back, Carrie Maguire. Win the first ball. 
David De Gea smother the ball, show some aggression. So there were so many different opportunities for United to stop that particular goal. And it was frustrating because they played what I thought was really good in the first half and in the second half after Everton had equalised, you know, controlled, aggressive in the press, really creative, nice movement. So, you know, it was, I suppose, an occasion if you accept that Manchester City are looking you know, just too good for the title, which is frustrating because this clearly was an opportunity for the, I'm sort of talking in the past tense here, for, for the title. If you sort of accept it as that, then okay, it's not the end of the world. It was a 3-3 thrilling draw. United have been here before with Everton, you know, conceding a two-goal lead at Old Trafford and obviously it cost them the title in much closer circumstances at that time. But, you know, it's not the worst result in the world against a good Everton team, but it just, it, and it was a good performance, but it just feels like, you know, that was the a definitive weekend in, you know, the title race if United had beaten Everton and if Liverpool had won we'd, we'd be looking at it thinking it's still very much alive as it is you know it looks like it's going one way so I think that's probably where the uh, the overriding emotion comes from one way but you'd also say Manchester United looking very very likely to maintain their spot in the Champions League places which I don't think I could say that at any point in the post-Ferguson era really things are looking good are they not Andy? Yeah, there's a gap now where United are looking comfortable. But as you said uh, two or three minutes ago, the games are so frequent that if you lose a couple, the, the league table can look very different. United need to keep on getting wins. Always said if they can add 10 points to the 66 points from last year, not need to go into finishing in the top four in the last couple of weeks of the season, they can be more comfortable. If they can add a cup win, an FA Cup or the Europa League, then we can say that's a successful season. Ollie knows he's got to strengthen the team. He knows his positions there. He knows he's got to bring players in. It's going to be difficult because economically United are not going to be as flush because they've lost out on a lot of income in these COVID times. But relative to other clubs, United are in a stronger position. And by moving Jesse Lingard to, to West Ham, that could be a win-win for everybody. Getting Marcus Rojo off the wage bill, that's a plus as well. If Oli can move a couple more players off who he wants to, then should be some breathing space there to bring in the players. And I think you need a couple of Bruno-class players for Manchester United to properly compete and, and win the title because we've seen when City came to Old Trafford in the League Cup semi-final, they're just better than Manchester United at the moment. They've got a better manager. They've got more experienced players and it's showing by their, by their league form. United, I think, have got to try and hang in with City if that's possible. City have imploded a few times in the later stages of the Champions League. I know that's the feeling within within the club, just hang in there and be pleasantly surprised when Liverpool continue to to drop points. But United have got to keep on winning. If you keep draw, if you draw too many matches, you'll soon fall out of that top four. You're looking round and being part of the title race, it's quite exciting. When you see now Leicester drop points, okay, that's good. And then Chelsea, they're starting to pick up a few. Just drop a few points, Chelsea. Smirking when Tottenham continue to, to drop points <laughs> and especially when when Liverpool do too. But you've got to keep on winning the majority of the games, keep the confidence up because otherwise you're going to have Bruno coming out saying this isn't good enough. And as Laurie was saying, the failure to see out that game against Everton was a failure. Top teams don't do that. And the point about the strikers is absolutely right. United have not got a prolific centre-forward. The top scorer by a mile is Bruno. United don't have a striker in 
the top 15 scorers in, in the Premier League. And if you look at the, the greatest Manchester United teams, the European Cup winners, they've all had great centre-forwards who've scored a lot of goals. And Rashford, um, Anthony Martial, Mason Greenwood, they're all fantastic players, but they've all got to be more prolific. Last season, Marcus and... Uh, well, all three of them scored a lot of goals. And I don't mind the idea of the goals being spread. You know, the treble winners had goals being spread throughout the team. But there's been times recently where United have needed that clinical touch. You could even say against West Ham, Marcus had a good chance. He just hesitated a little bit and Fabianski came out and, and made the save. Martial worked hard against West Ham because he's not had a good season so far. He's not scored anything like it as many goals as he should have done. And I feel that Greenwood's coming into it more. He was a bit peripheral at the start of the season, but the best moment of the first half was him going past Mark Noble. I had to, I had to Google how long Mark Noble's he actually been at West Ham. absolutely finished him. Oh, it was great it to was see. brutal. Yeah. Mark Noble from Canning Town, the most cockney of East End places. He's been in the first team since 2004. I love stuff like that. Don't ever leave West Ham. Well, he's not going to now because he's 33. But every club should have a player like that, a local boy who's there for years and years and years. And West Ham are a decent side. United have now beaten them twice, beaten them away in the league and knocked them out of the FA Cup, knocked Liverpool out of the FA Cup. So there's there's lots of positives, but you're never far away from this tide coming in of negativity if the team... Uh, drop points and it can be a draw it can be a poor performance or it can be a defeat Laurie what do you think about the current goings on of Manchester United my big takeaway from the West Ham game is that uh, Van der Beek some, it's not it's not quite right is it there it's not either he's not sort of taking on board what he's been asked to do or the instructions aren't clear enough because it seems to me that the positions that he's taking up just aren't fitting in with what United need. So it seems like he, he goes up the sort of back line of defence. Like, to be fair, I think, you know, the coaches knew that that's what he did at Ajax, you know, played the one-twos, arriving into the box, but it feels like he needs to get more involved centrally in those pockets in the number 10 role, you know, and, and go go looking for the ball and, and, and quicken his movement, carrying the ball, you know, making stuff happen. It's, it feels a bit more like he's, he's, um, he's looking for those really quick sort of one-two touches without actually going in and impacting the game. So listen, I don't know what the what the cause of that or, or what the solution is there really. Maybe it is more games, but equally you're not going to get a run of games when you've got Bruno Fernandes doing the business when he comes on and, and sort of giving it a bit of an oomph when he when he arrives. So that's one something to address. But listen, you know, through in the FA Cup quarterfinal again, they've got a good record now under Oli of going far in these cup competitions. And it, it might feel like a bit of a diversion from the the main um you know approach. Of, of, of league and, and Champions League but I think you know the, the more matches they get into deeper reaches of, of cup competitions you know they are going to get past a semi-final at some stage and you know that would hopefully lead to a trophy and that would be nice Very much so I think Wembley is possibly on the cards uh, listener I will write this piece the moment I finish recording this episode, but hopefully by the time you wake up, listen to this podcast and then head to the Athletic website, there should be a piece on Donny van der Beek and what needs to be done at Manchester United. I think, and um, forgive me for the analogy, I think he's a bit too nice and a bit too timid, a bit like uh, someone who's come from private school to the local comp to finish sixth form and doesn't mm-hmm. quite understand where to stand and do his locker room stuff. 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Marcus Rashid wants to talk about football. That's the headline on Laurie's latest piece on The Athletic. Laurie, you had a fantastic chat with Mr. Rashid. Yes, and the headline is our Alex KJ Jelski, our editors, uh, sort of were, he just wanted to keep it nice and simple and portray, I think, to the readers that this was an interview that was about football. You know, he's obviously done fantastic work off the pitch um, over the last year, incredible work, but this was trying to get into his um, sort of box of insight, I suppose, on how he plays the game, uh, his ambitions, uh, so various little bits that I wanted to just, you know, get get um, underneath the skin of, I suppose. And it was quite nice that the uh, the timing of it, obviously, say, with 250 games uh, for Manchester United against West Ham, so only like Norman Whiteside, George Best and Ryan Giggs reached that figure at a younger age. So I think he's keeping good company there. And um, and also, I mean, you know, you look at this season, he got another assist um, against West Ham. Um, that's nine for the season. That's his highest total of assists since he's been at the club. And he's got 16 goals as well in all competitions. And he got 22 last season, which was his highest total. And he was taking penalties. I know he has, has had taken one this season. So it just the, the interview was sort of around that. Sort of how, how do you go about assisting? How do you go about scoring? Um, we got into lots of different things, but I began by asking him, about his debut, which was five years ago on February the 25th. So that was a nice anniversary. And it was obviously against FC Mitchelland in the Europa League. Towards Memphis, bouncing around Matter to cut it back again. And Rashford has got the dream goal that he was looking for in his debut. And one he will never, ever forget. Written in the stars. It feels um Ages ago, I think we've, we've just been through so much since then. Every bit of the journey is just a part of your development. And to be honest, they're all as important as, as each other. But yeah, it does feel like a, like a long time ago. What do you remember about that time? For me, it was just a period where I was just learning so much every day. I was like between the under-18s, the 23s and, and the first team. And I was just like taking what I was learning from the first team. And whether I was with them in the on the bench for them or playing in the reserves or playing in the 18s, I was making sure that I just, you know, kept doing the things that they was teaching me and the things that I'd learned from the, the other players in the first team squad. I'd done that for for about six, six or seven months before I played in the first. I think my progression just sped up quite a lot from when I first trained with them. Now, the most recent goal that you scored, obviously, the in the 9-0, a good finish there that takes you past Eric Cantona in the all-time stakes. Sort of, how does that make you feel when you think back and, and all that you've achieved so far? It's a nice feeling for me at the end of the day. A goal's a goal. And for me, the more you score, the more likely your team is to, to win games and get three points. And at a club like Man United, that's what's important. So... I'm just focused on scoring goals and helping others score goals. And of course, you have to work hard and, and do your bit for the team um, mm. between all of that. But my main focus is on on doing that and just helping the team win, win points and win games. You mentioned helping the team in both scoring goals and assisting. I think you've got 23 now goals and assists in all competitions this season. I think it was 28 last season. You know, you're well on your way to surpassing that. How do you sort of approach goals and assists? Like, do you sort of 
do you have a favourite out of the two? Like, would you prefer scoring or do you prefer assisting? And, and you know, yeah, I think I think all, all forwards prefer prefer scoring. Um, but to be honest, it's assists are a part of the game as well. And if you get yourself in the right areas, your goals and assists just they, they just come naturally. Um, the hard work's done before that because that's the tough bit. You have to make sure you're in the areas consistently to set someone up or to score the goal yourself. And I think throughout the course of a season, you have to make sure that you, you keep doing that. Um, of course, there's spells in the season where it doesn't quite go your way. But when that happens, you, you can't lose focus and stop making the runs to get there. Um, you have to make sure that you keep you keep getting that. How does it work when you're sort of linking up with, say, Anthony Martial? I mean, the, the goal that I'm thinking of in particular is the Norwich one away last season and the way that you guys interlinked. Rashford wouldn't quite run for him. Rashford, brilliant. Martial's in. Yes. That'll see it. What about the interplay? Rashford and Martial. It was like Colin York at peak. Fabulous finish. And finally, Norwich are extinguished. That back heel, how does that goal develop? Is that something off the training ground or is that just something in the moment that you've, that you've worked on? The back heel and the finish is what people speak about, but I think the work's done before that. The pass into his feet. And then when as soon as I follow my run and give him another option, if he gives it me back and I can't get a finish on the goal, I think automatically in your head, you're trying to find your, your strike partner because you know that he's doing the same. You give the ball to him and you run and he's give you the ball back into an open space. Um, and I think it was the fullback that followed me inside. So the space is on my left. He shouted for the ball. The the back heel was actually a little bit heavier because he's had to dink the keeper Um but it's a, it's a great finish and a, and a great goal. One match that just popped into my mind with a 3-2 at Brighton um, early in the season, you scored a remarkable goal. Uh, in. Rashford is scooting up the left-hand side. Onto his right foot. Can he finish now? Surely. Brilliant. What a goal. Fantastic. Rashford kept his, kept his head. Found the net. Inspirational. Because you did some things there that I... You know, you look at it and you think, why has he done that? But obviously you end up scoring yeah. the goal and it's amazing. You, you've chopped him twice there. How difficult a skill is that? And, and why did you choose to do that in that moment? When Bruno played the ball in behind, I wanted to get to the ball as quickly as possible. But I was kind of looking to just get it across the face of goal to see if Mason or, or Anthony was there. When I got to the ball, he was a little bit further back. So I just I had to isolate him one against one just do what I can do to give myself the best chance of scoring. On that occasion, it was, uh, I had to chop him and go back onto my left. It's whatever you see as a bigger chance of scoring a goal. If it's cutting inside and shooting, then that's the that's the thing that you're going to do. But in the moment, and it's, it's all split seconds and everything happens so so quickly. Could have shot when I came inside, but there's other things like the positioning of the keeper, um, whether you can see a, a lot of the net on that side, that all like plays in your mind um, as you dribble them with the ball. It's fascinating to hear that just because we obviously don't, we won't appreciate that from watching the game, but you're there living that moment and, and, and those are the kind of split second choices you've got to make to try and score. Yeah. You have to be able to to adapt early and um, even personnel, the person that, that's trying to defend you, you have to register that information and able to, I, I always think in my head, I'm going to give a defender something that he doesn't he doesn't like. Can I just take you back a little bit to when you were coming through at the academy and the players that you might have seen? So who was the first, I guess, star player that you saw and, and have you been able to pick up bits from them sort of as, as you progress? For me, it was it was Rooney and, and Ronaldo. Find Rooney and then Ronaldo in space, bearing down on goal. Ronaldo, back heel, Rooney, shimmy, beautiful. Oh, magnificent. Absolutely magnificent. I just... 
enjoyed watching them so much. Like, and when we was going to Old Trafford and watching the games, um, yeah, I'd see them score goals and do exciting things on the pit. And then after I'd go home and I'd watch them on, on YouTube and stuff like that. And I just, them two was just, when they was both in the prime, them playing together, it was just an absolute joy to watch. It was just a privilege really to be able to have the opportunity to learn from them and watch them and study them. And you can definitely take things from their game and try and put them into your game, but uh, still keep your own your own style and your own personality on, on the pit. But yeah, they definitely taught me a lot. In football, I don't think you ever stop learning. So for me, I just have a mentality that I'm, I, I want to learn and improve every day. Do you mind me asking just about penalties, Marcus? You've, you obviously scored very adept. I just wondered, did you do that in the academy levels? You know, how does it work coming through? And then I mean, what situation at the moment with them? Yeah, throughout the, the academy, I, I always uh, took the pens for, for my team and... Penalties is like, if you're comfortable with taking them and you're confident, more often than not, you'll, you'll score the goal. Things can happen where you take a good penalty and the keeper saves it, or you take a bad penalty and it goes in. And to be fair, I think I've had, I've had both. Um, but yeah, you have to be able to, if you have missed one the, the previous time, you have to be able to put it behind you as quickly as possible because a penalty is a, a great chance for, for your team to, to score a goal and it can be the difference in games. So just mentally being prepared to, to take a penalty and, and win the game is, is massive. That was Marcus Rashford there talking about creating goals and his two Manchester United heroes, Wayne Rooney and Cristiano Ronaldo. It's a great chat. One thing that I put in an article recently was how Rashford's really interesting in that he's got the Ronaldo drive to succeed and that work ethic. And he's also got that very fun thing that Wayne Rooney had where he could be fantastic in more than one position. Um, Laurie, what was it like chatting to Marcus? Because I've been talking to him recently and I always find it quite intimidating. <laughs> yeah, you're right, Carl. It, it is a, you know, you're sort of listening in and you, you know, you've got a certain amount of time to, to speak with him. So you're trying to think of the right questions and, and, and get the, the best answers. Um, but I thought he was very intelligent, smart, cared a lot. You know, you, you can clearly see this is a guy that thinks about the game. And in terms of what you, what you mentioned there about creating, I just think he's shown his, a variety of assists more this season. You know, the cross against Everton was a, a real peach. You know, I think it was, you know, one that David Beckham would have been proud of, the fact that it right to the far post and putting it into that area. Obviously, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer played on the right, didn't he, at a period in his career. And I wonder if if that's something they've been speaking about. But yeah, I, I know I really enjoyed the chat and he's obviously a, you know, a nice guy to boot. And the, the Rooney thing's interesting. I, I'm, so I believe, you know, they, they're still, they speak, you know, obviously we're teammates at one point and, you know, Rooney's a great person to, to give advice on how to, go about scoring goals. And, and you know, I think I'm, I'm led to believe that he he believes that Rashford could go and break his goal scoring record at, at some stage, which I know is a, a big, you know, a hefty record, but 23 has got years ahead of him. But um, I mean, I'm intrigued to know sort of how your thing's going with him. You know, you've got the book coming out soon, right? And, and how much can you tell us? Is it top secret or can you give us a little bit of a spoiler? I can give you, I can give you some uh, athletic spoilers, uh, as, so to speak. So we finished, uh, the book right now is, meant to be eight chapters penciled in i've just finished chapters one and two um done we've done the edits so anytime laurie is covering a game on the weekend thank you so much laurie because that tends to be when i'm in the laboratory working with with marcus <laughs> and, tr and trying to get some of the little fantastic things i've been talking to marcus with so in the same way that you talk to him about football i tend to talk to him about kind of football but also 
growing up and other things. So his favorite Ninja Turtle is Donatello, if that's of interest at all. <laughs> um, but I, oh yeah, he's he's remarkable to talk to because he is. It's very rare you meet an athlete that has that singular drive and has that I'm going to be the best, but also doesn't have nemesis. So it doesn't have a sort of, I'm going to do this because I need to be better than someone else or doesn't have this in, I need to be, I have a rival out there or doesn't, he doesn't need to, he doesn't have an imaginary adversary. He needs to wake up in the morning and go jogging. So he needs to be, he's doing this because he's doing this for himself and he's doing it for his family. And I think that comes across in his play. And I think that comes across when he's looking up and trying to decide what's the best footballing decision, whether or not it's to shoot or whether or not it's to cross or decide to do a nutmeg or not. Andy, have you ever had an interview with Marcus Rashford before? Because you tend to interview everyone. <laughs> I have. I first interviewed him in, in Beijing in the summer of uh, 2016. And Ooh, I wanted young. to do sort of bit bit offbeat stuff with him. And he said that his favourite goal up to that moment was actually against West Ham in the FA Cup at the old Upton Park in front of a packed United uh, end. And yeah, I thought it was good and spoke to him since and, and to his family as well and done stuff on 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 his background. And he's he's got an incredible um, story. And I've got, I think like every Manchester United fan, a huge amount of admiration um, for him. I've got friends of my family have been uh, childhood friends of, uh, of his. Uh, I've got a piece coming up on the athlete quite soon. I'll probably say in, in a few weeks about that. But Marcus features heavily in that, and he grew up in Trafford for the most of the time. I'm from Trafford, so in, and he went to Ashton on Mersey School as well. And I think he's, he's, he's incredible uh, what what he's done on the pitch and and off the pitch. But yeah, it was in. Uh, Beijing on that pre-season tour when the game between United and City was cancelled, the game where Manchester City officials were worried that the stadium was going to be all red. So they prepared to hand out blue T-shirts to try and lessen the impact <laughs> of Manchester United's vast support in China. Just you to find that out. Not a bad line, though, is it? You know, if you get told line. something like that, you're going to run with it, aren't you? <laughs> I mean, you, you can see it from City's point of view. If you if you come in there and you think, how are we going to save face here? We're trying to build this club up, but we've we've not got the history of Manchester United. So can we just order 15,000 blue T-shirts, please? And uh... <laughs> I just remember that match that gets, it felt like ages ago. So for you to have interviewed Rashford then, it, it, you, you think he had, he's been around for five years yeah. and he's still only 23. Yep. I think that's yep. something that perhaps gets a little bit forgotten. You, you, th you think about players, they reach the peak of, you know, I think Ferguson said, didn't he, that 24 onwards is when they're physically and mentally, you know, at, at their maturity. So, you know, I think we, we do have to consider that in mind because I know that he, he is scrutinised, his decisions on the pitch, he, he does come in for criticism from fans, but I would always just lean on the side of this is a kid that's come from the United Academy, cares for the club massively, always, and that's what came through in the interview, always, you know, wants to wants to make himself available. The injuries thing was interesting when, when he talked about Osgood Slatter's disease and the growing yeah. pains that he experienced and, and putting his hand up for England trials because he, he just wanted to play and, and knowing that he's not always 100%, but he, he, want, you know, he played 120 minutes tonight and he's still running at the end. So that's what I would always lean back on. 
you know, there's going to be mistakes on a pitch. It's it's a human game, and you know, it's it's played at an incredible pace. So, um, and he has put, he still produces moments that have got me off my seat this season. You know, I don't think we should overlook that Brighton goal or the the, the Norwich goal that he, he lays on from Anthony Marshall last season. You know, there's, there's loads of occasions where I've gone, wow, that's an incredible skill. So, um, yeah, that's where you know I, I sound like a right fanboy, don't I? But um, yeah, I think you you, right. you feel the same. You're right, yeah, very much. I think you're right, and and that that love for United is genuine. And one of his brothers got a job at Old Trafford as a steward, so that he could be close to the players, so that he could watch them and pass on the information to his little brother, <laughs> Marcus. So it runs a bit in in the family. And I knew that Barcelona were absolutely interested in Marcus in late 18, early 19, and flattered though they were, his only love is for Manchester United. And a big football club from the Manchester area were extremely interested in Marcus and sent a delegation to Marcus's house, a big flash delegation. (laughs) And this club have got lots of money, but he wasn't interested. Stockport County. Well, they've got a lot of fans in Stockport, this club. (laughs) (laughs) And his love for United is genuine. And, you know, even if you look at Cristiano, and Cristiano got to a higher level than Marcus is at, he always wanted to play for Real Madrid. I think that Marcus would love to win the league with Man United, would love to win the Champions League with Manchester United. And there's something wonderful about that. But sometimes fans are harder on their own. They just are. I remember Wes Brown getting it in the neck and sometimes you're a victim of your own success at a club because the clubs don't always appreciate you and your last to, your loyalty is taken for granted. So when it comes to contract renewals, you're not usually at the, at the front. Uh, I think Marcus has got a fantastic uh, contract, but absolutely Manchester United, I think his, his love is completely genuine. Very much so. I think one's really interesting when I watch Marcus Rashford is, I mean, I'm going to, barring injury, either one big long-term one or small ones, I'm pretty sure he's going to be whatever you term as world-class for a little bit at some point of his career. Yeah. The interesting thing for me is I'm not sure if he's going to be world-class playing on the left or if he does eventually make that move through the middle. Um Andy, you've spoken a little bit about Marcus's work with his back towards goal, and that's one area that he does need to improve upon. Do you think he could ultimately end up being played through the middle? Or will do you think he might do his entire career on the left-hand side? He could do. I mean, I mentioned that earlier on in the season because I know that was part of his game that he was working on. And I know that there's been times where he's been told, get closer to goal. That's where goals are scored. You want to you wanna score 30 league goals in a season. And what will happen if you score for early goals in a season, Marcus? Well, Man United will win the league. And he's way off that at the moment. So he's scoring goals across the competitions and he's making the assists, which Laurie said, and he made the assist against West Ham. But there's times when he's better um, not receiving the ball with it, with his back to goal. So it, I think he's really aware that he's not at the Ronaldo level that he wants to be at. And he does continue to improve. And he's not distracted. He's really focused. And time away from football is spent doing things for the, the social good, which obviously has become really high high profile. And 
I think it's amazing what he's doing. He's um, one of his friends when he was coming through was a friend of my family, Sam Smith. And Sam became a striker, became a professional footballer. He went to to Reading. He was at United as a young a young lad. And Sam's dad was and my dad were best friends for years. They played football together. And uh, I remember my dad saying, "Go and watch Sam. He's doing all right. He's just gone on loan to Oxford United." And him and Marcus had come through together. You know, Marcus went to Sam's house for food sometimes, and you know, Sam got to a good level. He got he got to Reading, and he's a striker now. He was at Cambridge United. Uh, last year and these are local boys done well and obviously Marcus is the standout star now but it's incredible that a, a, a kid who he made sacrifices at an early age just moving to moving school he didn't really need to move school and he's got a really good story and I'm sure you're going to tell a lot of it and I, I hope you've enjoyed the process of doing the book with him and don't be intimidated enjoy it mate because there's so many people who you know would 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 love to do that and i think it's a great opportunity for you as well to do it oh, thank you very much now before we all end up shaking each other's hands and feeling very proud of ourselves and feeling proud of marcus rashford let me bring it back to laurie's piece because this piece is really good it is called marcus rashford wants to talk about football and it is on the athletics website right now you can also read daniel taylor's piece about marcus rashford and marcus rashford's upbringing if that's of interest as well Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Right then, to wrap up our other forms of business, looking at the FA Women's Super League, it got a bit hectic this match day weekend. Manchester United suffered a shock 2-0 defeat against Reading. And while that could have scuppered their potential title race. Things got very complicated because not only did Chelsea lose 2-1 to Brighton Hove Albion, but Arsenal lost 2-1 to Manchester City. Looking at the Women's Super League table, that now means Chelsea and United are once again tied on 32 points, although Chelsea have the game in hand. City have creeped up to 30 points and Arsenal it seemed to have fallen away to be the fourth in a three-horse race. Whatever's going on in the Super League, it's getting quite hectic. Uh, we wish Casey Stoney and all of her charges very, very well and all the best. Uh, some of you may have also seen in the FA Cup game, Ahmad made the substitute bench. Uh, Oli played it very, very coy in regards to Ahmad's uh, appearance on substitute bench. We have now had it confirmed that Ahmad, formerly known as Ahmad Diallo, uh, would now like to be referred to just via his first name. So we will do so in future on this podcast as well. Uh, another play for the future is Shola Shoratire. 
I think I've got the pronunciation correct. Uh, the 17-year-old striker, uh, who can also play as a number 10, has been handed his first senior team contract. Is that right, Laurie? I think you've given Ornstein the good details for this on Monday. <laughs> yeah, I fed him a little line for his column. He, he obviously needs a lot of help with that because, uh, you know, he, he doesn't have any contacts himself. Um, obviously, it's a superb column with filled with insight every single week. He's an, he's an absolute boss man when it comes to uh, breaking news stories. But yeah, no, little line I had was Jolashore Tire. Yes, got it spot on, I think, because um, I was pronouncing it Shortire the whole time and we've had it confirmed that it's not pronounced like that. So it's Jolashore Tire. Um, was going to be trained with first team uh, I thought this week but I wasn't sure for certain but it turns out that yeah he, he played trained with them sorry on Monday after signing his first pro contract with the club um, he's now 17 turned 17 on February the 2nd so um, and they actually had a pre-pro contract um, agreed when he was 16 so they really do and it's a rare roof United that and they really do rate him and he's played really well for the 23s this season um, scored a hat-trick uh, against Blackburn a few more assists as well Hadwell Mesbury also would I think be training with the first team this week um, but for an ankle knock that he sustained in that game so they just need to scan that and check that out but they're two really talented boys and it's more of a I mean they would they would be training with the first team in normal times usually you know they perhaps have a, a day here a day back with the 23s but because of you know the situation the bubbles it's more of a you know they, they have to go through a few tests and, and get things signed off so I think they'll stay Chola will stay with the first team for, for a little bit of time now at least but um, I, I know you know the situation well as well Andy yeah, I think you're right to mention uh, Hannibal as well as Shola, because in the last couple of weeks, maybe the the two players who've taken the headlines for the 23s have been Ahmad and Joe Hugill, who's been scoring all of the goals. But I'm told that Shola and Hannibal are the best two players day in, day out in training. They have impressed their managers more than any other player. So what I take away from it all is we should be feeling really optimistic about the young lads coming through. There's always promising players and I don't like to get too carried away. And we could name between us 10 players who we all thought would be world beaters. Um, Adnan Janazai is probably going to play against Manchester United uh, for, for Real Sociedad and James Wilson was a really promising striker. So there's no guarantees whatsoever, but there's four players we mentioned there who I think can feel really encouraged by and, United's youth system, it's not fully there, but they've really got their act together. When I compare it to five years ago when I wrote a pretty damning piece talking about the lack of investment there, and my sources for that were so frustrated from within the club that they've been left behind by City and by Chelsea. But I'm pleased to say that's no longer the case. And United's youth system is really good. And I wouldn't worry too much about results. I know these... Recently, we've seen a 6-4 and a 6-3 for the 23s, but they play really young teams. You both know you've both been to matches. There's 16 and 17 and 18-year-olds in those sides. So I think it's another strand and reason to be excited and, and keep watching these players. There's a lot about Manchester United right now where you can say in two, maybe you know, two to three seasons, possibly five years, things are going to look very, very good. Uh, one thing I will say about Hannibal is he gets kicked around. A lot in yeah. those on the twenty three games. That is one thing to point out, actually, um, Carl. You, you're right to mention that. And, and some, somebody told me that he actually got his nose broken with an elbow in an EFL trophy game earlier this season. I think it was against Accrington. It was early on. 
instead of coming off, you know, broken nose, he just shoved a couple of stents up there and played on for the full game. So he, he has spindly legs. Um, he may look like he can bash him around and he certainly gets kicked a lot, but he gets up all the time. And really he should, he should have had more protection from the referee in that Blackburn game. You know, it was, it was consistent really. So, but you are right to point out, he is not as, he's hard as nails as, as somebody said to me. You know, you know, he left the stadium um, wearing a protective boot and crutches because he'd mm. been kicked around that much, and and he had a scan on his ankle. So fingers crossed that that he's okay. And I know that United have had that referee several times, and <laughs> maybe, mm, maybe um, yeah, maybe he's not the best referee to have ever uh, officiated Manchester United game. So I'll, I'll just leave it at that. But. There's a red flashing light that's just activated because we've mentioned referees <laughs> at Manchester United. So I'll try and wrap this po- podcast up very, very quickly. Uh, before we finish things up, I want to say thank you to Andrew Bester, who listens to the podcast, who pointed out to me that Harry Maguire's first name is Jacob, which was part of my like ongoing player profile as I'm constantly surprised by players. Was Harry Maguire's first name is Jacob. Apparently, all the men in his family have the first name Jacob and then he elected to use Harry as his given name. So that was my nice Manchester United fact of the day. And now you have one, not only from Marcus Rashford on his fantastic article, but you also know about his favourite Ninja Turtle. See, Talk of Devils. It's a very good Manchester United podcast. But other than that, I think we're going to wrap it up today. 13 goals in three games. And we talked about a striker. A good podcast. Thank you very much, Laurie, for joining me. Cheers, Carl. Cheers, Andy. Thanks everyone for listening. And thank you very much, Andy, for joining me. Thanks, Carl. Thanks, Laurie. And thanks, everybody, for listening. And thank you, listener, for joining us for another episode of Talk of the Devil. It was a Manchester United podcast brought to you from The Athletic. We'll see you sometime next week. Ta-ra! The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.